Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. In this Word on the Street special, we discuss the latest government minister's resignations, whether this signals a government in crisis, and how this could affect the UK investment markets, with Phil Attreed, Head of Wealth Specialists, Olivia Gleeson, UK government expert, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. Hello and welcome to this Word on the Street special. It's the first for a while, but warranted, I think, given the goings-on in Westminster this week and the possible implications for investors. A reminder, we will still have our usual weekly Word on the Street, which will be available in the coming days. And a quick plug, actually, for that episode, as we have yet another amazing guest uh, with a timely return to the panel. So tech fund manager Ben Rogoff talking to us about some of the things that's exciting him at the moment. However, back to today and... And our first amazing guest of the week, Olivia Gleeson, who's going to try to give us some of the latest uh, goings on in UK politics. And we've also got Will, of course, to try and work out what that means for investors. So, uh, Olivia, let's start off with you. There's obviously an evolving situation in number 10 and the government, and it seems to be gathering momentum to the point of looking pretty uncomfortable, even precarious, and even by recent standards. Well, thanks, Phil. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly a day or evening of sort of high octane drama in Westminster. I'm a little bit weary eyed, I'm not going to lie. So you'll uh, have to have to bear with me today. But you know, as listeners will know, we sort of saw very high profile resignations from Sajid Javid, the health secretary and Rishi Sunak, the chancellor within minutes of each other last night. And the sort of phrase doing the round is Hemingway is, you know, gradually then suddenly, which rang very true. Now, for a moment, I think we were all on the sort of edge of our seats that this trickle of resignations might turn into a pour you know was this the moment that Boris Johnson's premiership was going to implode was Rishi Sunak's new policy of walk out to help out going to see wide scale uptake like last summer sorry I couldn't resist that one the internet was just a a light (laughs) but I think you know uh, the question that a lot of people are puzzling is why now you know we only recently had that no confidence vote which the prime minister survived We've had numerous scandals like Partygate, the damning Sue Gray report. You know, frankly, there have been a multitude of other trigger points that could have prompted cabinet resignations and they didn't. So I think we can speculate this morning about the degree to which those resignations last night were sort of part of a coordinated campaign. I couldn't help but note they were sort of shortly before PMQs and within minutes of the prime minister's televised apology about you know, the Chris Pincher scandal. But I think, you know, honestly, it's probably a case of this was just one scandal too far. I think, you know, each of the resignations had a slightly different focus. Sunak's letter sort of concentrated on divergence in economic policy, whether Jab was about the sort of pincher debacle. But I think they're both premised on their belief that, you know, under the current prime minister, the Conservative government isn't fit and proper to run this country. And I think I'd also note, you know, whilst billed as very principled resignations, I should say, Rishi Sunak is obviously held up as a future leadership candidate. So, We could, of course, speculate about whether, you know, he reached the conclusion quite quickly yesterday as the events unfolded that sort of to go on a moment longer might potentially uh, irreversibly tarnish his reputation and, and prospect as a potential next prime minister. Quite. And, you know, maybe a few words. What about the new look cabinet? And I guess uh, in particular, the chancellor. Any insights there? Sure. I should say that, you know, Boris Johnson is digging in uh, like never before. You know, we're seeing him promote loyalists to key positions in his cabinet following that resignation, as I've just discussed. And 
Nadim Zawahi, the new chancellor, is certainly the most talked about. Now, he's had a rapid rise in government since his first ministerial stint, not that long ago at all, as uh, minister for vaccines during the pandemic. He's described as a self-made businessman and he co-founded the polling company YouGov uh, before becoming an MP in 2010. Now, it's only his first day in the job, so we should probably cut him a little bit of slack and hold off before we uh, over-speculate about what kind of chancellor he will be, or I should add, you know, how long a chancellor he might be. But, you know, there are a few early interesting observations to note. You know, if we look at the official spin from number 10, they've said that the appointment of Zawahi reflects a change in economic strategy from sort of balancing the books, which we knew that Rishi was preoccupied with, towards growth and tax cuts. And you might have seen the new chancellor on the broadcast rounds this morning, quite quick off the mark to sort of raise taxation in the context of UK competitiveness, adding that he'd sort of leave nothing off the table to ensure the UK is one of the most competitive countries in the world for investment. I think the other comment we've seen is he seems pretty unwilling to give way to public sector pay workers, please, for an increase in wages, sort of citing fears about fueling uh, inflation, I should say. But I think, you know, the rest of his approach and his sort of broader vision for number 11 still remains to be seen. Thanks, Olivia. And Will, following on from that, are there any market or investment implications from any of this? And in particular, obviously, a new chancellor before us. Yeah, well, as Olivia says, I mean, there is some speculation that this will see an increase or this this may all increase the chances of a larger scale fiscal easing, you know, rapidly expressed through, a, you know, for example, a broad based VAT cut was one, 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 one bit of speculation I saw. And, and if there was to be such a move, and I'm really not sure how to handicap the chances, I don't know, Olivia, you might be able to help, then you would expect a, a counter move from the Bank of England, I guess, you know, you, you would you would expect them to feel that this was likely inflationary, uh, and therefore they would need to, you know, up the implied path of interest rates. So there would be, this is not, uh, you know, this is not uh, a costless move, let's say. Uh, there would be a response from the Bank of England and their battle, um, you know, their, their, their sort of epochal battle against inflation, uh, along with the other central banks around the world. Um, I mean, the, the other thing to point out is this new chancellery. You know, it's a bit of a poison chalice at the moment, isn't it? I mean, it's a really tough job. The UK, uh, amongst all, and, and uh, it's Lots of this is through no fault of the UK or its policymakers, but you know if you look at the the problems, and we've talked about this before, but if you look at the inflation problems facing the various parts of the world, they're all subtly different in many ways. Uh, you know, so Europe, it's the exposure to the oil price and the commodities price shock that's really problematic there. In the US, it's more about because the commodities shock, you know, you're more in oil terms anyway, oil and gas terms, you're more net energy independent. The the concerns there are probably, and also the translation is a bit less as well, but the, the, the concerns there are probably more about the hot labour market, i.e. kind of, you know, over demand for workers. That's what they're trying to call. Well, the UK has a bit of both. It has the commodity shock and it has this red hot labour market to have to cool. So not an easy moment, but we'll be, we'll be really interested to see and a highly uncertain, you know, as, as Olivia is, is saying. So, you know, the short term outlook for the UK uh, politically and economically is highly uncertain. Certainly, and a lot more news to come, I'm guessing, over the next uh, few hours and days. Olivia, final question to you. you know, I suppose what happens next? I suppose it is a bit speculative, but can Boris hold on? If the resignations don't topple him, are there any mechanisms potentially to remove him? Yeah, I think that's the uh, million dollar question. I think, you know, with almost any other leader, these resignations would have proved a fatal blow. But, you know, as has been written sort of so many times, it's practically cliche. Johnson is simply not any other leader and it doesn't look like he's going to go anywhere voluntarily at this current moment. 
but I think you know you probably will want to hold on to your popcorn a little while longer there's there's things to come you know firstly let's take those remaining uh, cabinet pledges of allegiance with a pinch of salt individuals like Gove, Trust, Wallace they might have signaled their support for the Prime Minister last night but they you know could be biding their time and waiting to see how this later chapter unfolds before making their next move and I think we should also reference the public polling that's come out last night and this morning I think YouGov snap poll showed that two-thirds of the British public would like the Prime Minister to resign and 54% of Conservative voters from the 2019 election also want to change in guard at the top and that's pretty significant and pretty grim reading for Boris Johnson and those closest around him today but you know if we assume the Prime Minister won't resign voluntarily on the basis of these sort of shifts in opinion against him in terms of official mechanisms I think you reference you know as listeners will know the current 1922 committee is uh, rule is that there can only be one no confidence vote every 12 months but that being said there are very very important elections more important than ever now to this highly influential committee in the coming week or so and that could see new leadership who might move to abandon that 12-month rule and open the door to another vote of no confidence. There could also be sort of changes to the threshold of that vote with some talk of setting it at just 25% of the party or meagre 90 MPs. Now, of course, the Prime Minister will be working pretty hard to secure the appointment of Boris loyalists to the committee, but we are seeing increasing numbers of backbenchers distancing themselves from his premiership last night and ongoing into today. So, I think the elections to this committee will be really interesting, both for whether they open up a change in policy in the timetable or a change in the threshold of that vote. And I should also add that we could see movement on that as soon as the coming days, if not today, just to sort of stress that things are very live. It's a it's a moving feast. So, yeah, I guess you'll just have to invite me back, obviously, to keep you updated as it continues to unfold. I'm sure we absolutely will. And as I said, we'll be back with more from Word on the Street uh, later on in the week. So our listeners wish to hear more. Please do join us where we will talk further about those developments over the course of the coming days. But as I say, also hosting Ben Rogoff as well sort of on all things tech. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation. All tax rules can change in the future and their effects depend on your individual circumstances, which can also change. We do not offer personal tax advice. You should obtain this independently if you're unsure. Investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance.